Once upon a time. That's what our show is about today. Stories. Not just one story in particular, but the very concept of story itself. Why do humans like stories so much? And what makes for a good story? How do stories affect us? And what role do stories play in having meaningful spiritual experiences in modern life? To probe the answers to these questions, we'll start our episode by discussing scientific and non-scientific approaches to stories. And we'll end by exploring a special form of storytelling from the Christian tradition called parables. We'll even touch on the one parable that's the key to every other parable Jesus taught during his ministry. Welcome to The Symmetry Podcast, a home for conversations about faith and humanity that are designed to help people grow. My name is Ben Laboot. And I'm Brad Collins. And we're your co-hosts for the show. Let's start our show today with the question, why do humans like stories so much? There are a lot of probably correct answers to that question, but the one that comes to mind first is very simply enjoyment. The reason that I pick up a good book and read it through to the end is because I like it. It's fun to read, to be inspired, and to get lost in a fantastic narrative. In other words, I think that the reason why people like stories so much boils down to some combination of entertainment and escape. Hmm. We like the idea of stepping into another's shoes, whether better or worse than our own, just for the experience of it. There's a certain sense of wonder and excitement to engage in a story and share in the world of those characters whether historical or fictitious, or from a realistic world, or one of high fantasy, is part of the human desire to connect. And through a story, we can connect with unlikely personages. For example, never meet Daniel Boone or (laughs) Carl Sagan, but I can enter into their world through stories about them. I think also that part of the appeal to a story maybe I should specify a good story, is the universality of it. And by that I mean, in a good story, I can see a reflection of myself. And it's not that I'm narcissistic and need all walls to be mirrors, but I can best relate to and connect with that which is familiar and pertinent to myself. Epics about God and heroes are really grand versions of myself. The trials of Hercules are different than the trials of my day-to-day, but I still endure trials, so he and I have something in common. I'll never be a tribute in the Hunger Games, but the injustice that Katniss must contend with is the same injustice that I can't tolerate. So she and I have a bond because of that commonality. I really like that kind of non-scientific approach that you took in thinking about the answer to, you know, what makes for a good story. And I did a very fruitful Google search on some of the science behind good stories. And the research I was looking at was specifically out of uh, Berkeley. And I was pretty intrigued that one could boil down what makes a good story into two things, getting attention plus empathetic transportation. So in other words, the first part of a good story is a conflict or narrative tension. That catches the interests of the audience. So when a 
James Bond movie starts with a prolonged, exciting chase scene, it's meant to draw you in and get your attention because nothing matters if you're not paying attention to it. Technical people call call the second part of a good story empathetic transportation. And all that means is that the audience, you and me, end up caring about the same things that the characters in the story care about. And the audience starts to experience the same emotions that the characters are experiencing. It's it's kind of like when people talk about being emotionally invested in something or when people cry during you know, a moving moment of a movie like Marley and Me, for example, or, you know, some other movie that has a lot of emotion involved. I also wanted to mention that research out of the same place in California has shown that character-driven stories consistently cause more oxytocin synthesis. In other words, there's a physiological mechanism that stories activate in Homo sapiens. By the way, for a biochemistry refresher, oxytocin is a peptide hormone, and it's it's really a hormone that's sometimes called the the cuddle hormone or the bonding hormone, and it's associated with making humans more trustworthy, generous, charitable, and compassionate. And that's the hormone that character-driven stories cause us to release when we hear them. So Ben, in our bonus episode called Levin, you basically delivered a sermon about a specific type of story called a parable. So let me ask you, How would you define what a parable is? A parable is, in its simplest form, an illustrative story. Our English word parable comes from the conflation of two Greek words, para and balaian, which mean placed beside and to throw. So a parable, then, is something thrown beside. And the sense is that if two objects travel with each other along the same path, I only need to keep track of one of them to know where both of them are. One way I like to explain it is think of a comet. So a comet is comprised by two parts. You have the uh, core of the comet called the nucleus, and then you have the tail. So the nucleus of a comet is a rather small chunk of uh, ice and other things, but it's way too small to observe with with your eyes, but it carries with it an absolutely enormous tail. When you look at the night sky and you see a comet, um, which I personally never have but pretend I have, when you see a comet, only the tail is there in the sky, but you implicitly know where the core of the comet is. So that's the same idea of a parable. There's a really famous parable that comes from the Bible, and a lot of the time it's called the parable of the sower. It goes something like this. The kingdom of God is like a guy who threw some seed in different places, and some of the seed produced, and some did not. And and that's kind of it. <laughs> <laughs> that's supposed to help me understand something? <laughs> and that's the thing about parables, is the idea is that the parable of the sower which is just a story about a sower and the seedy plants, is supposed to help you understand the kingdom of God. The problem is, that's a confusing story. And although you paraphrased what's recorded in the gospel accounts of Jesus' teaching, it's actually a pretty accurate (laughs) paraphrase. So growing up, whenever a pastor or a Sunday school teacher talked about parables, they loved to comment, at least to me and the, the people with me, on how... Jesus was like a genius for teaching with parables. But how is 
somewhat a genius for teaching with confusing stories. Like my understanding of teachers growing up and my best experiences with teachers are they tend to take things that are complicated or confusing and make them simple or understandable. It's true that parables can be a great way to take a tough concept and make it plain, right? So they are a good tool for teaching. However, the parables of Jesus oftentimes were, as you said, pretty confusing. And uh, that's not just me that thinks that. In the Bible, after you read the parable of the sower, there's a story about the people that were there hearing the story, the close followers, were confused by it and had to go ask Jesus to clarify. If Jesus had to explain the story after telling it, then was it really a good teaching? It almost sounds like the opposite of good teaching, which is exactly what I thought the first time that I was seriously learning about Jesus in parables. Ben, you and I have been on this thought experiment before where we looked at this parable of the sower and tried to understand where it was taking us. And I think that's worth uh, doing in this conversation. So my favorite rendition of the parable is in the the Gospel of Mark chapter 4. And I'll just kind of read the the nine lines of it. But again, he began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. In that passage, who got the teaching? The next line in the recorded teaching says that when Jesus was alone, those around him and the twelve, those being his twelve closest students, asked him about the parables. And then he goes on to explain what the parable means. Who got the teaching? It wasn't the crowd necessarily, because the crowd just got the confusing story. The people that got the meaning of what Jesus was teaching were the people that were close to him and the people that asked him to explain it to them. So is the point of the teaching knowledge, or is the point of the teaching developing a relationship between the teacher and the hearer? It actually seems like his goal was to get to know people and to to woo them into getting to know him rather than just getting to know the content that he was delivering. Jesus does use a parable as it's intended as just this great tool for taking a difficult concept and making it clear. But as you said, that only happens to the people that get close to Jesus or the people that lean in and get to know him. Or another way to think of that is he'll teach a difficult concept, but he'll let you struggle through it. And it's through that process 
that the 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 disciples back then got to know Jesus but then we also if when you and I read that story it's through the process of the struggle and the digging in and asking questions that's when we understand even more about God than just the parable itself would let us know the theme of this episode and conversation has really been that faith and spirituality is very much about relationships and and it seems like the reason that faith is faith is an important thing to the divine is that it's hard to have a relationship it's impossible to have a relationship without trust another word for trust is faith it's impossible to have a relationship without faith and if a big part of spirituality if a big part of the way Jesus approached religion and spirituality is relationship, then it's impossible to do that without faith. And one of the ways I think of it is if I'm getting to know someone, say, in a romantic or dating relationship, and we don't trust each other, it's really hard to have a relationship. Like if we're planning a date night or or really anything, and we don't believe that either of us wants to be there or that we're going to show up on time or that we're enjoying the time and experiences together, then it doesn't work. Relationships don't work without faith or trust. Therefore, humanity relating to divinity also can't happen without faith because if it's a relationship, faith is required for that. If we circle back to stories where we began this conversation, they are oxytocin release. They serve a purpose. They're empathetic transportation. They're entertainment. They're escape, stress release, inspiration. They are relationship because they connect us to the characters in the story. Stories are us. The bow that ties all this together for me is that Humans love stories because they help us connect with one another. So isn't it fascinating how God loved to use the very same thing, stories and parables, to connect with us as well? Thank you for listening to this episode of the Symmetry Podcast. If you've had a good time with us, please feel welcome to subscribe to, rate, and review our show. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Podbean, as well as online at thesymmetrypodcast.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash thesymmetrypodcast. And until next time, Godspeed. <laughs>